This is Bridging the Gap with Love, episode 25, Healthy Boundaries. I'm Heidi Brower, a birth mom. And I'm Jessica Johns, an adoptive mom. And this is a podcast about adoption. As we share our own experiences and the stories of others, we hope to provide support for those in the adoption world and educate others on the joy and grief of adoption. Okay, we're back in our studio. Yes. I love this time with you. I do too. It's good. <laughs> it was so cute um, after Jared listened to my husband, Jared. Sorry, we got a lot of Jareds. <laughs> we say my Jared, your Jared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after he listened to uh, one of our recent episodes, he just mentioned, he's like, it was so good to hear you and Heidi back on there just having a conversation. I'm like, yeah, we are pretty good at that. Too bad we just aren't recording ourselves at all times. <laughs> just it's kidding. just gold. It's just so good. We love talking to each other. It's so fun. But this is actually a really important topic that we have today. We're kind of surprised we haven't already like mentioned it or hit it on the head. And we probably talked around it or talked yeah. about it. But today we're going to talk about establishing healthy boundaries in adoptive you know, relationships. And we really hope to kind of destigmatize the idea of boundaries. I think sometimes we think in any of our relationships that we only need boundaries if things have gone terribly wrong or if things aren't going well. But healthy boundaries can actually create healthy relationships. And I think that's true in the adoption world as well. Yeah. I kind of look at it, at it like, you know, we have rules or laws that are set forth and it's not to necessarily like, you know, keep us bound, but it's to help keep us safe and free. That's kind of how I look at boundaries that healthy boundaries really can just help us have a better, you know, more healthy relationship. Yeah, they're kind of the framework within which we kind of operate our relationships yeah. and, and navigate these relationships. And what's interesting is looking back, you know, 10 years ago when I was establishing a relationship with Danielle or when you were establishing a relationship with Andrea and later Alex, I'm not sure this phraseology was really out mm-hmm. there or anybody really walked us through creating boundaries in our relationships. But looking back there have been like values that have guided our relationships. And I think these boundaries are some of the reasons that our adoption stories have been so successful and so healthy and that we've been able to overcome a lot in our relationships and work through things. So don't worry if you haven't created boundaries yet, or you you might have already created some boundaries without even without even realizing it. Early on in my story, there was more policies that were set forth that was kind of like, this is what we've always done. This is what you can do. Um, Kind of like what has been done before. But I think as adoptions have started to open up, it's allowed people to have more freedom to be able to set those boundaries with what works with their own situation. Because not every situation is exactly the same. In fact, there's not one adoption story that is exactly the same. So I love the idea of boundaries being set that works for each individual circumstance. Yeah, I think that's really important to point out because there are going to be situations where the boundary is no contact, no communication at all. And we've only been able to have these types of relationships because, you know, we've had healthy birth parents or healthy adoptive parents or the child has been willing to kind of engage in these relationships. But I also think 
there's so many independent adoptions happening now where, like you said, there's not somebody who's telling you what to do or how to do it. So you kind of have to, as adoptive couples and birth parents, create these boundaries together. And so the three or four boundaries that we kind of talked about, the first one is has to do with communication. Heidi, do you want to tell us a little bit about what communication has looked like? Yeah, we've talked about this in an episode before about communication. And and we might repeat uh, some of the things that we talked about in that episode. But just a couple of key points that I want to really focus on. For me, I think that it's very, very important that as a birth mom or a birth father or birth family, that you always communicate with the adoptive parents, first and foremost. I think that that's actually quite appropriate until the child is 18 or until the parents have felt like they are really responsible or they've really understood, you know, this relationship that they have with their birth family. For me, that is not only a good boundary. I think it really helped me build and honor this respect that I had for Alex's parents and specifically for her mom. At first, you know, we started back 20 years ago, it was through snail mail. Like we would mail letters and pictures and that was, you know, every once in a while. And then when Alex was three, I think we exchanged email addresses. So that was a little bit more, but also I was in the middle of having toddlers and they were also in the middle of growing their family. So it wasn't as often. There was no, there was never a set time or date. It was more like, oh, Alex's birthday is coming up. I should probably email them some pictures because I'll be honest, being a mom of toddlers was not easy on me. And so there would be months and months that would go by that I'd be like, I'm the worst birth mom ever. I've not emailed Andrea. I've not like sent anything, but Andrea always reassured me that I wasn't the worst birth mom ever and that, um, you know, life happens. So, you know, then it was email for a little while. And then um, that was the majority of like Alex's childhood. And then when she was 13, I think is when we first started exchanging phone numbers because that's when we got to see them again for the first time face to face. And it was just easier to do it through a phone call. And so we planned that. And I will say that it was a long time before we actually were on social media, like friends. Right. And I think that that's a whole other boundary. That's really important to set that maybe it's this stepladder of communication and what's working. And I mean, I just feel like we've talked about this before. Social media brings a whole other layer of difficulty. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it can bring kind of a little bit of mental drama and trying to fill in the blanks of the storyline that you don't even really know about, maybe, how they're deciding to talk about it and post about their life. And you read into things and it just gets kind of messy and indirect. I think it's super helpful to just wait on that layer of communication. Yeah, and my communication with Alex was completely different. That that was another boundary that we had kind of set, that I wasn't directly communicating with Alex, that I was communicating with her mom. And so if I wanted to send Alex a gift or if I wanted to do whatever, or I I would text her and be like, will you please tell Alex this? Or will you just let Alex know that I'm thinking about her? And it was through Andrea. And then, you know, there came a time when we started to Marco Polo, which was kind of fun because any of you know that app is almost like FaceTime, but not, right? So like you can record yourself with the video and then you send it to them and then they can record themselves on a video and then it gets sent back to to me. 
And that was really fun. And what I find is interesting that we did that for a while and that still felt safe, right? It still felt like it wasn't the pressure of it being a FaceTime where you're actually looking at each other face to face. For some reason, that helped us create a little bit more of a of a boundary there. And I was actually 100% okay with it because I still thought it was a really fun to have like this recorded version of Alex in front of me. So, and now we've gotten to the point where we have FaceTime, but I truly believe that because we have kind of set these boundaries before with communication that I've been able to build so much respect for Andrea and and she's been able to build trust with me to where now our relationship is more open to be able to have these things. I mean, honestly, I just got Alex's phone number probably two years ago, a year and a half ago. And so, and there, I still respected the boundaries there. I wouldn't text her all the time. I wouldn't send her pictures all the time. I wouldn't FaceTime her all the time. I even, a couple months ago, I even texted her and I was like, hey, haven't talked to you in a while. And I said, would you like to talk or FaceTime? So again, I'm asking questions to not cross a boundary that maybe shouldn't be crossed. And we ended up FaceTiming, but it was on her, like her decision. Yeah, I love that. I know we have so many different means of communication these days, which I think can complicate, you know, adoption relationships, but it also can be a really great tool for us. Like our adoption started off with like mainly text messaging. We didn't have snail mail (laughs) or like I never emailed Jessica or Danielle. I don't think like we, we had each other's phone numbers from the get go and we would text message. And honestly, that's probably been, and I think you need to hear this. That's probably been like 95% of our communication has been through text messaging And eventually, like we started, especially when it was important phone calls or things when we really wanted to get kind of caught up on each other's lives, we would we would have a phone call. And really just recently over the past like one to two years have we started FaceTiming. And, you know, um, Jessica lives out west. And so she doesn't get to see Bradley regularly. And so it is fun for her to be able to see like Bradley's face on on FaceTime. But that's not something we do super regularly. And it's something that we've that we've worked up to. Um, it's taken time. And as an adoptive parent, like even though I like to be in the home and around when my child is like having a conversation with their birth mom or their birth dad. So my girls, for example, are 10 years old. They have to use my phone. They don't have phones. Yeah. That's going to be a while. Yeah. Let's just be really clear about that. <laughs> they keep asking, but it will be yeah. a while. So they use my phone to call Danielle or to call Chad. And I'm just kind of around for that conversation. Like I'll kind of pop in and say hi and ask them how they're doing. But I, you know, my girls are getting old enough where they can kind of navigate that and, and hold a conversation. But I, I do like to be there and just kind yeah. of hear like how that's going and help them out because they're still trying to figure out how to ask questions and, um, you know, just kind of move conversations along. So it's helpful for me to be there. And, um, you know, I, that's how it's going to be for a while, I think. Yeah. And for my girls, they're so chatty, like they would probably have like a 27 minute conversation and just keep going and going. And they're like, I think Danielle and Chad probably get dizzy on the other end of it. They're walking around the entire house. They're showing them everything. They've even taken the phone out to the trampoline and shown them some of their tricks. So, I mean, it's just been helpful. And there have been a couple of times where some important questions have come up. And I've wanted to talk about those right away. right after the phone conversation and and be aware of the conversations and the questions that my yeah. my kids might be having. So anyway, communication, that's honestly one of the biggest yeah. like healthy boundaries that you can you can set in an adoptive relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think 
has been super helpful. So next up, should we tackle visits? Every adoption is so different because you might be in different states or different cities or even different countries. And things going on in the birth parent family and things going in the, on in the adoptive family, even just like finances, like do we have enough money to make this trip happen? There are real like constraints that are going on. We read an article this morning that kind of talked about boundaries and boundary setting, especially for like the adoptive couple, like kind of being the gatekeeper for your child and asking your child, like, do you want to have a visit with your birth mom or with your birth dad and kind of, you know, really trying to get a sense of where they're at and if they're ready for for that kind of interaction. For us, we, we've lived close with our kids' birth parents, like right after their placement. And so we, we were able to have in-person visits. As an adoptive couple, though, like I will say that, especially since we plan to adopt all of our children, I was really careful early on. I wanted to under-promise and over-deliver. Mm-hmm. So I, I really wanted to be careful about setting a precedent that we couldn't keep up every single year or be consistent with, especially since I, I recognize that we would need to be navigating these relationships with all of our adopted children. And so um, we didn't make specific promises about how many times we'd be able to visit or even what that would look like. We just, we always were open with the fact that we wanted that to happen. And if we were able to do it financially and as a family, that that was something that that we would prioritize. Yeah, I think that for me, like Alex was always my number one priority as far as how does she feel about all of this. And if I was ready at a moment's notice, if we planned on meeting and I mean, obviously this is when she was older. And if she would have said, I'm not ready or I don't want to do this, I would have had to have just been okay with it. And I kind of prepared myself for that, that like Alex can back out anytime that she wants. And so that kind of helped me just really focus on her and her feelings. And I think maybe a little bit of advice for, because sometimes you go into these visits and you don't know how it's going to be, right? Especially the first couple of times, especially in a situation like mine where I didn't get to see Alex until she was five and then again at 13 and on. I think as a as parents, you kind of have to see, I mean, you know your child better than anybody else. So how are they doing during the visit? And then what is their reaction once the visit is over? And then maybe that will help you navigate future visits. And maybe that'll help you navigate conversations that you can have with your child about what just happened. And so I think that if if we really try and like, set aside our feelings and just say, how is this affecting this child? That will kind of help us with these boundaries that we are setting or visits that are going to go forth after that. Okay. Another thing that's been super helpful is we've, when we have visits with our kids' birth parents, that is the sole primary purpose. Like we're not trying to have a birthday party with our kids' birth mom and my parents and my siblings and also the kids' friends. Like that's like that can be a lot of dynamics to be navigating all at the same time. And we've just really wanted to prioritize and also create these unique relationships. So when we have a birthday party with our kids and and Danielle or our kids and Jessica, 
that's the sole purpose of it. It's just our little families coming together. And we've done this also for Christmas. And I think that's really helped us be able to enjoy and soak up all the fun that we can out of that moment because we're not also trying to, you know, help all these other relationships happening and, and, you know, cause parties can get crazy. So that's something that's been really helpful is we, we've just tried to have like one singular focus when we've been getting together with, with our kids, um, birth moms, especially. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, every meeting we've had with Alex, it has been like just my family and maybe just her family. And then maybe one other sibling just because him and his wife lived close by. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when it was my parents, it was just my parents and me and Kennedy, my daughter and my brother and sister-in-law because they lived close by. Right. So it wasn't like we threw everybody on Alex at once, because I will tell you this last summer when it was Alex and her mom, stepdad, sister, boyfriend, and then all of us. And there was 32 of us in a house. I mean, that was a lot at first. It was overwhelming. It was like, wow, we, it was almost like the floodgates open or like, what do they say? Like a fire hose, like coming at your face for just a second. And then I think we were all able to kind of wrap our heads around what was happening. And everybody had their own boundaries that they kind of really tried to respect with her and not bombard her and ask her all these personal questions. It's just interesting to me, the more I think about these boundaries and how it really wasn't spoken. Like I didn't have to have a sit down meeting with my family and say, nobody's going to ask her a question. Nobody's going to do this. You're going to all take turns and talking with her. I just feel like we all just had such love and respect for her and wanted her to feel comfortable. So we just automatically like had these boundaries in our minds of what everybody was going to do and not to do. And I think that it turned out really well. I mean, she even said at first it was really overwhelming, but then as time went on, she got more comfortable with being around everybody. It was a lot. Yeah. I'm thinking back to, to some of the like visits and gatherings that we've had with our kids, birth moms, and even their birth families. And a couple fun things that happened because that's been like our primary focus is our kids feel so special mm -hmm. and feel so spoiled. Like we're coming together for them. Like that's why we're together. Like little mini celebrities. Oh, and they are. <laughs> no, like they are. Totally. Um, and the other thing that's been really cool that I think has been helpful is when we do have a gathering, like especially like on um, at, at Danielle's home or at a family member's home, I, I let Danielle know, invite anybody that you want to meet the girls. Like that's, that's our time to be with her family, her people. And it's been so fun for her to introduce our girls to these people that matter a lot to, to Danielle and people that have known about Eva and Nora from the very beginning. And the same things happened with, um, with Bradley. We've, we've had really fun get togethers with Jessica's family where Bradley gets to be a part of of his, you know, birth family and be around his cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. So my advice would just be as an adoptive parent to ask your kids' birth parents, who do you want to be here? Who do you want to, to meet, you know, our child and, and interact with them and get to know them a little bit. And because that is the primary reason for getting together, you're able to do that and, and invite all the people that, that want to get to know them. So that's been kind of fun. Yeah. I think a, a th something that is still really important is if, you know, the child's older to still really ask, like, are you okay with meeting this person? So when my parent, you know, my parents have wanted to meet Alex since she was little, mm -hmm. right? Like they've wanted to be a part of it or, you know, since she was 13 and on and I've gotten to see her every year since. And I've always said like, be patient, be patient. Like we're getting there. And 
So when I knew that my parents were going to be, you know, close to her, where she lived, I still asked Andrea, Andrea, what do you think? Uh, you know, do you think Alex would be comfortable with meeting my parents? And then Andrea asked Alex, or maybe at that time I had her phone number and I just asked her, I was just upfront and just said, is this something that you even want to do? And when she came back and said, yes, you know, then of course we were all really excited, but I still wanted to give her the chance to say if that was something that she even wanted to do. So. Yeah, I think that's really true. My kids have been little like babies, you know, toddlers for some of these, these visits. And so you know, I've, I've needed to make some of those decisions, yeah. but I really think that as our children get older, it's so important to kind of allow them to figure out how they feel and what they want to do and how they want to navigate these relationships. So that kind of brings us to our next thought that we had. Sometimes we don't think about this as boundaries, but what do our children call their birth parents? What do they call their extended birth family? I think that's really helpful to have an open conversation about that because there's a lot of weight and emotion around these family titles and names. So because our adoptions have been open from the very beginning, Jared and I have had like complete um, just ability to kind of shape and navigate the, the conversation about our children's birth families and their stories. And so we've talked about their birth parents um, and used that title to refer to them since the very beginning. When when our kids are around their birth parents or talking to them on the phone, they refer to them as their names. So Danielle and Chad, and then um, Bradley's birth mom is, is Jessica. So just the other day, he's like, I have two Jessicas. He's like, you're Jessica? And my birth mom's name is Jessica. So that's been really fun for him. He's got two Jessicas. That's just been really helpful. We we just kind of got to cho- got to choose how we wanted to talk about them. And I think we've mentioned before that those titles, those names, when we talk about our kids' birth parents, it is with honor and respect and gratitude and appreciation. Like those words almost just bring tears to my eyes because we recognize when we use that title that these are the people, the parents that gave them life, that protected them that made the choice and decision to place them in our family, that our children have always been loved even before they were born. And so that's just been really helpful. But a lot of times people ask, what do they call their birth parents? And I'm like, their names. Yeah. Just their names. It's great. Yeah. I almost feel like it would be more confusing to be like birth mom or or mother who gave me life. I don't know. Like it's weird. I just feel like for me – when, you know, Alex calls me Heidi, I just am like, we're cool. Like, she calls me Heidi. I don't know. It doesn't – I guess it doesn't bother me. I don't need a, a title. I I think I'm just so secure in our relationship that we have that her calling me Heidi means everything. Well, and what do you call your sister? Like, think about right. that close of a relationship. What do you call your sisters? Yeah, by their name. You call them by their names. And I just – I think that it it's not necessarily like it doesn't distinguish closeness like the girls have a very close, sweet, affectionate, loving relationship with Danielle and and same with Bradley. And they can still have that by calling her by her name, I feel like, and and referring to them in our home as as their birth mom. Like that is, that holds a lot of meaning for them and for us. Yeah, I think where this kind of starts to get a little muddied sometimes is when people start referring to like biological family members, like, like my parents as Alex's biological grandparents, mm. but 
I remember when I my parents were going to meet Alex, I kind of like had to coach him a little bit and be like, listen, he can't come in and like say, I'm your grandma and I'm your grandpa. I kind of had to be like, she has grandparents. She has a grandma and a grandpa that are very special to her. And, you know, I had to let them know for now, like you are Kevin and Tally until Alex decides what she wants to call you. Those are your names. And it is this, it's the same thing for my brothers and sisters who I know so desperately want to be her aunt and uncle because of just how much they love they have for her and how they've known about her her whole life. And so they want those titles, but at the same time, they also understand that that's Alex's choice because she, Alex has aunts and uncles and, and that's okay. And right now they're totally happy being called by their first names. Yeah. And those names can change. Mm -hmm. Like I think as you build relationships and as our children eventually get older and then choose to, you know, engage in these relationships afterwards, they might change them. And that's, that's up to them. And I think that's fine. Like, you know, relationship names do change sometimes, like as our, as our relationships evolve. So I think we kind of want there to be room for that. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. I just really truly believe that this is a boundary that is set for the child in the situation to make those kind of decisions because, and and I think it'll be more meaningful. Like if she ever decides to call any of my brothers and sisters and her uncle, I think that'll be pretty special instead of me telling her these are who these people are in your life. Right. I think that that'll make, it'll mean more. And, and honestly, I don't ever need her to call me mom because I am I am the I'm her birth mother. I'm the one who gave her life, but her mom is her mom and that is a sacred title that I believe that you know, her mom was there for her when she hurt herself or when she cried or when she needed somebody to cuddle or hold her and I just that is Andrea. Andrea is her mom and I've told her from the beginning that I'm not here to take the place of your mom because that's not who I am. I just want to be your friend. So Heidi it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting to kind of hear you talk about that because, you know, as an adoptive mom, I don't have the chance to be like a biological mother, but I do because of Jessica and Danielle get to be a mom. Like they have given me that opportunity, that gift. Um, and that, that word has so much meaning. It's just like the everydayness of that relationship, being their mom but I do think that motherhood and being a mother, I, I think we can both have those roles. Like I, I look at the decisions that Danielle and Jessica have made. And to me, they are the very essence of motherhood and what a good mother does for her children. She sacrifices, she loves, she protects, um, she delivers, she carries. And that's what Danielle and Jessica have done for our children. And so to me, they will always be the mother of my children. And by the grace and miracle of God, I get to be a mom to these kids that were not born to me. And it's absolutely miraculous and kind of crushing at the same time. But there's, I think, a lot of grace when we can give each other, I don't know, those names, share, maybe. Yeah, I love that. All right. So we have all these boundaries set, understanding that sometimes they might be fluid, right? Like we might have to change. There might be some times when boundaries are working and when they're not. And that's when the open communication is absolutely key. We have to be honest with how we are feeling 
as we're going through this thing. None of us have done this before, right? Even if you have adopted kids from another birth mom and then you have another adoption, it's still two totally different situations. That's right. And so you have to be able to navigate and pivot. I love the word pivot. But you have to pivot and move and be able to readjust and talk about what's working and what's not. So what happens when maybe there is a boundary that is crossed? I will tell you, I've, I've come across this situation before. And I've shared this before, I think, in our communication episode that there was one time Alex was almost 18. I saw an opportunity to be able to talk to her privately just to kind of I've always wanted to share with her my reasoning about why I placed her for adoption. And I didn't I kind of felt like, oh, she's almost 18. I can have this conversation with her. Now would be an appropriate time. I see a window of opportunity. So I took it and we went to her room and we had this beautiful one hour conversation. And to me, it was needed and and I loved that conversation. It was a really special moment between us. But shortly after, I realized that that was a boundary that I crossed because I didn't talk to Andrea about it first. And again, not because Andrea wanted to be in control of everything. It was just a respect thing that I just, for some reason, was not even thinking about. And I realized right away, I messed up. And and if I would have given Andrea a heads up and said, hey, I would love to have a conversation with Alex you know, what do you think? Or when do you think would be a good time to do that? That situation probably would have gone completely different. However, because Andrea was willing to share with me how she truly felt at that time, she was able to be open and honest with me about how she kind of felt a little blindsided, how she didn't, she wasn't really prepared, you know, to feel what she was feeling. It made me take a step back and realize you're right. Like I crossed a boundary that um, probably shouldn't have been crossed, but I'm I'm thankful that Andrea was open with me because we were able to talk through it and it really helped set up the boundary for next time. Like I was really able to realize, no, I really do still need to continue to go through and keep Andrea part of the whole conversation because you guys, I don't love Andrea just because she's Alex's mom. Like I truly love her and think of her as like my soul sister. Like we are connected and I wouldn't ever, ever, ever want to hurt her. Um, and there are often times that I will text her out of the blue because I just want her to know how much I love her. And it has nothing to do with Alex. Like I didn't text Alex. There's been numerous times where I've texted Andrea and not Alex because it's very important for me to make sure that Andrea knows that she is an important person in my life. And I felt awful that I crossed that boundary but I'm so grateful that she was able to be honest with me about it because I think that it's only honestly strengthened our relationship. Sometimes we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable to help progress these relationships that we that that are so um, important to us. And so sometimes that means being open and honest with each other, even if it might hurt the other person. Yeah, I also think sometimes our boundaries are unspoken. We don't realize that we've created them, but they're just there. And so as an adoptive couple, and this is probably true for birth parents as well, you may not know that a, a boundary has been crossed until, or sorry, you may not realize you have a boundary until it has been crossed. And so then it becomes important like, okay, what's next? And I think we can be kind of fearful and worry about hurting someone else's feelings, but Ultimately, like if we can be honest and be willing to have a conversation about how to communicate and move forward, like Heidi said, 
these instances can actually just strengthen the relationship that we have because you have to get really vulnerable and be willing to share your heart and your thoughts and your feelings. And when you do that, you're automatically going to draw closer to this person. And so it's worth it to to mention to this other person in, in your adoptive relationship, like, hey, my feelings got hurt. This is why. And where do we go from here? So overall, I hope that we can look at boundaries as a good thing. Is it, I hope that we can look at them with the willingness to create these healthy relationships with these boundaries to be able to just strengthen these relationships and really help these kids navigate this really, you know, potentially it, it's difficult sometimes for them to understand. I think you're right because these boundaries kind of create the structure and framework for our kids to kind of understand not only who their parents are and their birth parents, but who they are and who these people are to them. And so these boundaries are really going to help our children kind of figure out where they're at in the world and and who these people are and and what they mean to them and and just provide really a safe environment for them to figure out and ask questions and and navigate their life as an adopted child and all their relationships. Hopefully this has been helpful. You have some tips or pointers, things to talk about in your relationships. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us at bridgingthegapwithlove22 at gmail.com.